1: I am your host, Perseus Poku. Second Corinthians chapter 10 verses four through five says that for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. On today's episode, uh, I'm so thankful to have one of my mentors in the ministry. He is uh, an author of over 60 books. He is president of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry, and this particular ministry specializes in defending Christianity against anti-God philosophies, worldviews, and arguments. So on today's episode, I'm thankful to invite Dr. Ron Rose from um, Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministry. He's the president. Brother Rose, how are you?
2: I'm doing fine. How are you today?
1: I'm doing well. And I have so many questions for you, but we only have 25 minutes. So (laughs) let me consolidate my questions. All right. And the first question I wanted to ask you for our listeners is, what is Christian apologetics?
2: Well, you know, Scripture says in 1 Peter 3.15 to always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And that word defense comes from a Greek word, apologia, and that's where we get the word apologetics. And so apologetics basically means that uh, we rationally defend the Christian faith and its truth claims. And uh, that's a necessary thing today because there are so many attacks against Christianity, whether it's from the cults or false religions or atheists or agnostics or skeptics. There's many varieties of attacks today, but Christian apologetics seeks to answer those.
1: So how should we respond then to this pluralistic uh, mindset that we're facing in today's society in America? How should we as Christians React? Should we go down the relative relativist road, or should we? Is 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 there a prescription from Scripture in terms of how we ought to conduct ourselves?
2: Well, you know, that's a good question. I think that apologetics really addresses that issue because apologetics really does seek to challenge all false ideas in our culture. And so, a, a little more specifically, apologetics declares absolute truth in a relativistic world. And apologetics proclaims an exclusivistic message with Jesus being the only way in a pluralistic world. Apologetics promotes a supernatural worldview where there are miracles in a naturalistic world. And also apologetics defends the Bible in an anti-Bible culture. And so in a very real way, apologetics is kind of going against the grain of modern culture, but that's exactly what Christ calls us to do. We've got a clash between light and darkness. And uh, honestly, I think that's beneficial because before many people can become Christians, many people have objections to the faith. Mm-hmm. And apologetics seeks to answer those objections. And I'm sure you remember Paul in uh, Philippians 1:7 he says, "I am put here for mm-hmm. the defense of the gospel." Well, how many false gospels have you heard about today? I mean, there's just zillions of them. And so it's a very real need in our society today.
1: Amen. And one of the things that I've seen is this, um, how can I put in back of terminology, this uh, apathy regarding apologetics in many churches, um, and, and many of the leaders are not willing to, train up their congregants uh, in the method of of apologetics. So how can we um, insert apologetics on a local level?
2: Well, I think, first of all, it it needs to be communicated to churches the need for apologetics. I mean, they're not going to want to do it unless they see that they need to do it. And I think the way to do that is to show them, first of all, that apologetics is pre-evangelism. We can't really evangelize well until we first pre-evangelize, because people often have objections to faith. And so before coming to faith, those objections must be answered, and those objections might relate to, is the Bible really the Word of God? Is Jesus who we claim to be? Did the resurrection really happen? How do we know that Jesus is the only way? And don't all religions lead to God? I mean, a lot of people have questions like that. And so apologetics answers those. And then I think, secondly, of interest to many pastors would be the fact that apologetics also grounds the faith of Christians in their congregation. Hmm. Because apologetics helps us to understand why we believe what we believe. And it provides stability for our faith by removing the doubts. And, uh, you know, to me, if I was a pastor in a church, I would would love apologetics if it does those two primary things. Because if it's pre-evangelism that means our church is going to grow, right? Right. And then if it's uh, stabilizing in terms of enhancing the faith of congregants, that means you've got a more spiritual congregation, and so it's a win-win scenario. And I think in instituting it in a local church, I think that uh, and maybe it's a good idea for there to be a, a point person, whether it's the pastor or somebody else on staff, who can either bring about uh, apologetics in the curriculum or maybe do five-week series. hmm I know some churches that do two- or three five-week series each year, mm. and they're Sunday evenings. And so it's, like, uh, uh, it's kind of like an added benefit to, to church attendance, and a lot of times they'll hold these right before the church service on Sunday evening, so you're already there. You just come a little bit early, attend the apologetics class, and then you go to the Sunday evening service. Got it. And so that's one good way that uh, it has been um, uh, used by a number of churches today.
1: Thank you. That's excellent feedback. So, in terms of your ministry, uh, reasoning from the scriptures, ministry—what is it that uh, you do through your ministry, and uh, what was the impetus for getting it started?
2: Well, uh, we're called reasoning from the scriptures, and so that's what we like to do. We uh, we happen to like the Bible a lot, <laughs> <laughs> and so we think that the Bible does have the answers that we need today. But I think that we do do apologetics just a li- little bit differently in some organizations, and, and I've been around the block. I've worked with many apologists, you know, today. I've done a lot of conferences and been at a lot of organizations and so forth. And one of the things that we emphasize is that uh, in addition to having strong answers, there has to be a strong spiritual life in the apologists. Right. And I say that because too often I have met far too many apologists that have great answers But you know, they're just a little bit in your face, a little bit confrontive, a little bit arrogant, a spiritual chip on the shoulders, as my old friend Walter Martin used to say. Right. And uh, if you've got strong answers coming from a person like that, you know, I I think people tend to ignore that person. Mm. But if you have strong answers coming from a person through whom Jesus is shining, Mm. you know, through whom Christ is living out his own presence and You see a person who is humble and respectful and loving and so forth. Strong answers from that person, well, that's something I'm going to listen to. And so, to me, a Christian apologist is not just the person that has the strong answers. It's also the Christian who's very close to the Lord and is so close to the Lord that that shows itself in the way that the person actually lives his life. And so that's the emphasis in our ministry. We seek to provide not just the strong answers, but we also seek to enhance the spiritual life of Christians so that Christians will literally shine Jesus to the people they come into contact with.
1: I am in love with that answer. That That is uh, something that we all need to embrace, not just having knowledge, but having the love uh, within us to dispense that knowledge, so I, I do appreciate that. Now, I wanted to ask you the definition of a cult, and, and and reason why I wanted to ask you that is because in recent years it seems like this definition is, uh, or or the former def- definition. Even though I realize it's, uh, different apologists have different definition of it, but it seems. Uh, like we is getting watered down, where uh, people are desiring to bring in certain cults under the umbrella of Christian denominations. So, can you tell us what a cult is?
2: Well, certainly. In fact, uh, if you do buy certain books on Christian denominations, you will find groups like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons listed in there, right alongside the Presbyterians and the Methodists and the Baptists and mm. you know all the you know all the others. Now, I've written a book on denominations, and my mind does not have those right. But, um, you know, it's important to understand what a cult is. And frankly, if you ask 15 different people, you might get 15 different answers as to what a cult is. Right. Some people might think that anybody that disagrees with you is a cult, <laughs> you know, and that's not the case. Right. The way that I look at it is that uh, there's both a the sociological and a the theological definition of a cult. And I like the theological definition. And based on that definition, cults are groups that have emerged out of a parent religion, a religion that already exists. We might call it a host religion, and very often that group claims to be the true form of the religion, but in fact denies one or more of the essential doctrines of that religion. Hmm. So, for example, a cult of Christianity would be a group that claims to be Christian, but in fact is not Christian because it explicitly or implicitly denies one or more of the uh, central doctrines of the historic Christian faith. So what do I mean by historic Christian doctrines? Well, God, for example, mm-hmm. you know, do we believe in the one true God of the Bible, or do we believe in pantheism—the idea that all is God, mm-hmm. you know, like New Agers believe, or do we believe, like the Mormons believe, that there's polytheism—the idea that there's many gods in the universe? If you uh, depart from the Bible on the doctrine of God, then you've crossed over into the kingdom of the cults. And another doctrine might be the doctrine of Jesus. You know, the uh, uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses say that Jesus was a created being. Uh, the Mormons teach that Jesus was begotten as the greatest spirit child of the Heavenly Father and the Heavenly Mother. Obviously, those are different Jesuses. Right. And so that's why we would categorize those groups as cults. They claim to be Christian, but they're really not Christian because they deny one or more of the essentials of the Christian faith.
1: So, in your estimation, when do do we label them as a cult? Do they have to have one of the tenets or doctrines wrong, or how, how do we go about doing that?
2: Well, see, the, the thing is, when I'm talking about essential doctrines, I'm talking about doctrines that are so important that if you deny them or change them, then you've no longer got true Christianity. Now, just to contrast what I'm talking about here, you know, what about the rapture? You know, people have different views of when the rapture's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Is it before the Tribulation or after the Tribulation or in the middle of the Tribulation? Mm-hmm. That's not an essential of the faith. Right. It doesn't relate to our salvation. So you can disagree with me on that, right. and you're still Christian. Likewise, on the issue of church government, some Christians believe in the congregational government, mm-hmm. and other Christians believe in elder rule, that the elders are in charge. But that's not an essential of the faith either. You right. could disagree with me on that, and you're still a Christian. But if you come to me and you believe in a different God and a different Jesus who preaches a different gospel right. than is found in the Bible then you've actually exited Christianity because you've no longer got Christianity. Right. And so our test of truth is the Bible. The Bible is our barometer of truth. Mm -hmm. And if uh, you have a concept of Jesus or God or salvation that is completely different than that found in the Bible, then that's when you've crossed the line into the kingdom of the cult. And even just one doctrine would do it. I mean, if you had a a phony concept of God... Mm -hmm. You know, that's big enough to put you in the kingdom of the cults because the doctrine of God relates to everything else. Exactly. And the same thing is true of Jesus. I mean, both the Old and the New Testaments point to Jesus Christ. And uh, that's one of the points I made in my book, Christ Before the Manger, which is a book on the pre-incarnate Christ. So if you've got a different concept of Christ, well, you know, Christ affects everything in the Bible as well. And so, like I said, when I'm talking about an essential doctrine... That's a doctrine that is so important that if you deny it, Mm. you've no longer got true Christianity.
1: I appreciate that, reinforcing uh, both the law of identity and the law of non-contradiction. So uh, I I do appreciate uh, that feedback. My next question has to um, uh, do with uh, individuals that are interested in studying up on other religions. And one of the questions I often get when I'm performing workshops at local churches is, uh, at what point can I venture into studying other religions uh, as a Christian? And, And so would you please answer that for us?
2: Well, yes. I think that if you're a newbie Christian, it's unwise for you to do that. I think that you need to first become grounded in the Christian faith. And the reason why that's necessary is that you cannot recognize a counterfeit until you can recognize thoroughly the genuine, real thing. You know, it's kind of like the old illustration with the dollar bill. The way the FBI trains bankers to recognize a counterfeit is by having them learn the real thing, the real dollar bill, so well that when the counterfeit shows up, they'll know it. And so I think that uh, newbie Christians who have not yet become grounded, it would be unwise for them to study the cults. But once they become grounded, I think it's good to study you know, books written by discerning Christians. And there's a lot of good apologists out there who have written books, you know, people like uh, Norman Geisler, a friend of both of ours, and of course I've written a a lot of books on the cults as well. And in terms of actually reading books by the cults, I'm talking about books written by Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and stuff like that. I don't recommend that Christians read those unless they have a special calling from God in the realm of apologetics. That's the kingdom of darkness. You know, right. and some of us are called to do that right uh and I would include myself in that group, and I've got a lot of cult books and my wife Carrie, makes me keep them all in one room in our house. <laughs> I think she thinks we're kind of levitating around in there, but uh, you know what's funny is that that used to be where our guest bed was in that room uh but no longer i I think it was a good idea that we move the guest bed to another room. <laughs> I think that explains the why that the wide-eyed pancake eyes, you know, the next morning when they come down, you know. But uh, anyway, it's real real important uh to make sure that you don't do something that's going to injure you spiritually and even myself. Even when I read all those cult books, my wife Carrie makes me read two Christian books for every weird book.
1: Wise lady.
2: Yeah, she's very very wise. She keeps me grounded. And she's watching out for me, and that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Mm-hmm. But in terms of reading books by Christians on the cults, I think that as long as you're grounded in the Christian faith, then I think that you're going to be, you know, in good shape to read, you know, both my books, books by Norman Geisler and David Reed and Dwayne Mignani and quite a number of other uh, Christians who have written on this subject.
1: Thank you. Uh, my next question may seem strange to some people, but I realize in engaging in apologetics, uh, as well as in talking to other apologists, sometimes uh, people that are practicing apologetics get negative feedback from other believers. And how do you handle it when you face that type of pers- uh, internal persecution?
2: Well, you know, you get, you get um, criticism and even attacks both from people outside the church and sometimes even within the church. And here's what I mean by that. I can tell you that for myself, New Agers say I'm unenlightened. Jehovah's Witnesses say I'm dangerous. Mormons say I'm deluded. And that's to be expected, really. You know, when you write books that are critical of what they're teaching, uh, you can expect to become attacked. That's just the nature of apologetics. Now, sometimes in, in pride and in arrogance, there are some Christians, some, some even in Christian apologetics, who will criticize other christians and that's that to me is just something that should not be i think that this is something that causes division in the body of christ and frankly i think it's something that's damaging to the church as a whole right i think it's damaging to the cause of christ because humanists and atheists love to see christians battling it out i know that even uh within the um tbn network which is a big television network uh they uh had quite a number of shows where they just attacked apologists across right. the board. Right. And so that's an example of, um, you know, um, attacks within the Church, and this was more associated with the word faith movement. But uh, nevertheless, it just shouldn't be. As for my own attitude and all of that, uh, frankly, um, if there's some legitimate point that is made by anybody, then I think that we as Christians ought to be humble enough to learn from any of those things, But if they're just attacks for the sake of being attacks, and those things bounce off me like a rubber ball, (laughs) because I really play to an audience of one. And that audience of one is Jesus Christ. He is the one person I am concerned about. I am not that concerned about the opinions of human beings, except for the fact that I don't want to be a stumbling block, and I want to be a blessing to them. Aside from that, if somebody attacks me, Like I said, if it's just a groundless attack, it just bounces off me like a rubber ball because my main concern is pleasing the Lord.
1: Thank you. Amen. And it's not always an easy task when you're working for the Lord. Uh, We will face uh, attacks and people will talk about us and people will give us a hard time because even Jesus, the one who was the perfect uh, man, uh, faced attacks and criticism.
2: I see, we can have the peace of God no matter what, because we know the God of peace.
1: Amen. That's what it comes down to. I appreciate that. Then my next question deals with one of my favorite books that you've authored, and that's Christ Before the Manger. And I always wanted to ask you, um, what sparked the interest in that topic, and how did you stumble upon it?
2: Well, you know, that's a good question. Um, You know, I... I have to tell you, that's my favorite book, too. I've written 70 books, and that's the favorite book I've ever written. I tell you, I was on a spiritual high the whole time I wrote that book. And uh, one of the reasons I wrote it is that I think that too many Christians today seem to assume that Jesus first came on the scene 2,000 years ago. Right. But the truth is that uh, Jesus has been around the scene for all eternity. And not only that, but he was heavily involved among God's people in Old Testament times, you know, among David and Abraham and Moses. I talk about all that in my book. One of the big questions I like to deal with in my book is is this question. How can we possibly understand the significance of the Incarnation unless we first understand the dazzling heights from which Christ came? Mm. And so to me, you really can't appreciate Jesus coming as a man 2,000 years ago unless you first understand the backdrop about his true identity. So that's why I wrote the book. I think that I initially became interested due to one of my uh, old friends at uh, Dallas Seminary, Dr. John F. Wolverd, who had uh, written a bit about this in one of his books. And once I got interested in that, I decided to write a whole book on it. And I was very thankful that uh, Dr. Wolverd before he uh, went to be with the Lord, was able to write a recommendation for the book.
1: Mm, excellent. So... When you're researching that type of topic, and this is for anybody that's listening, we on air with Dr. Ron Rose. When when you're doing uh, this type of research, and I think unfortunately we're running out of time. Uh, we have two minutes, but um, how do you go about um, doing the research? Are you using the concordance, or how, how can we uh, as lay people uh, engage in that type of research?
2: You can use the uh, concordance, you can use the cross-references that are widely available, a lot of good resources uh, to help you there, including my book, Find It Fast in the Bible. But always follow a basic principle of interpretation in the Bible, and that is, when the plain sense makes good sense, seek no other sense, lest you end up in nonsense. (laughs) To me, that says it all.
1: Dr. Rose, I do appreciate your time, and uh, prayerfully... Uh, We get an opportunity to uh, interview you you again, and I'm thankful for your Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. I love your books, and I do appreciate you as an apologist who's stood firm all these years. So thank you so much, and I will be in touch with you.
2: Well, thank you, and God bless you, too.
1: Okay, have a good day, and, 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 and we'll talk. Thank you. That was Dr. Ron Rose uh, from Reason from the Scriptures Ministries, and we are thankful uh, that he was able to share with us uh, his wisdom and his desire and passion for ministry. So for those of you uh, who are listening, I want to just encourage you uh, to remember the passage that we as Christians have been called not just to be saved and to sit in the pews but we've been called to go out and share the gospel and part of sharing the gospel invariably would mean that we have to give an answer for the uh, hope that lies within us and doing so with gentleness and respect so we must equip ourselves to uh, respond to answers that people post to us uh, whether it's inside or outside the church So thank you so much for listening and we will uh, continue this topic on erroneous doctrine on our next episode. Please consider being a sponsor. Have a blessed day and may God bless you.
0: Thanks for listening to sound reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from sound reasoning ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time, and remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught, so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org.
2: Want to learn more about God and His will for your life, one verse at a time? I'm Cornice Petway, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. I'm inviting you to tune in and subscribe at lifeaudio.com.